Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Good morning, everyone. My name is Glenn Withers. I'm one of the founders of the Australian Physiotherapy and Pilates Institute, and it is my pleasure on behalf of myself, Elisa, and the whole APPI team to bring you another episode of Pilates 101. We have a fascinating edition for you this month. This month, we're going to talk to Aaron Smith. Uh, Aaron Smith is the founder of KX Pilates. And KX Pilates um, is a Pilates studio franchise business um, that Aaron started um, in 2010 when he developed his or opened his first studio. Um, And from there, he has grown it to be the largest Pilates franchise in Australia and one of the largest Pilates franchises across the globe. Now, Aaron's story is fascinating from sort of what got him in to health and fitness to his travel around the world and to his vision and concept of spotting an opportunity and then having the uh, guts, for want of a better word, <laughs> to go ahead and do it and to never flinch in his ambition, to never flinch in his desire to not move away from the principles of what got him to uh, where he started to where he is now. Um, Now, over the the course of, of this interview, we're going to learn an enormous amount about what it takes to get to a level of success that's very rarely seen within the Pilates world. So I think there's many lessons that all of us can learn from the interview with Aaron here. None less um, about the concept of believing in yourself and following your dreams and your ambitions, but also having a look at sort of the bigger picture and what the different ways to success there might be out there. Uh, Many of us as Physios, as Pilates teachers, studio owners, practice owners may see that one way of owner-operator type ambitions. But maybe there's other ways. Maybe there's bigger picture out there. Um, So I think this is one of our most interesting podcasts that we've ever put out. I certainly hope you enjoy it. And I will now hand you over to our interview with Aaron Smith, founder of KX Pilates. Well, as promised, everyone, we are very excited about today's guest on Pilates 101. I'm joined here by Aaron Smith, founder of KX Pilates and one of the most successful business people in the Pilates industry. Um, we're going to talk to Aaron about a bunch of things in terms of his his journey before he started his studios, the growth of the studios and what it sort of has taken to get to where he is now, which is one of the largest Pilates franchises, um, you can correct me here, Aaron, I, I imagine it's possibly in the world by now with the state of you guys, um, certainly across Australia. Um, but Aaron, big, big thank you for giving us some time. I appreciate how busy you are. So thank you for joining us here on Pilates 101. Thanks, Glenn. It's really good to, to be here and have a chat. Yes. And you're you. the largest in Australia. Um, Cl- uh, Club Pilates takes us on a global oh, scale. But... Okay. Yep, yep, <laughs> slightly, yep, okay. Slightly different. Private equity owned, they, you know, they, they've got the, the money to go everywhere. Yes, yes. And, I, you know, of course, some people may think I'm, I'm biasing as we both come from the same country, but I have been in 
to, to both studios, a KX Pilates studio and into a Club Pilates studios, and yours are a much, much better setup, I must say that. Um, Thank you. We, we would agree with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> very, very different, very different experience. Very different. But um, anyway, let's talk about you. What um, uh, Here we, we have a, a sort of a listening base that uh, spans many countries uh, around the world. So uh, as uh, people in Australia obviously know you very well, um, some of the people in the other countries might not be as familiar with KX. But before we get into KX and the brand and the success story that it is, I want to just talk a little bit about yourself first, because a lot of people see the end goal, don't see what it takes to get there. So tell us a little bit about yourself before you even opened that first studio. What was your background? What were you doing in the lead up to that time? How did you get to the point of thinking, right, I'm going to open that first studio? Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, look, it's been an amazing journey and it probably started uh, when I was 17 and a half. I had a knee reconstruction and as a teenager as well, I had a bit of a compulsive eating disorder. So I was always into sport, but um, I was always quite a heavy kid. Um, I've got a pretty big frame, so I carried it well. But uh, after that knee reconstruction, when I was 17, I blew out to 104 kilos um, mm. and uh, and got quite depressed. Basically, the funny story was that is I, I had my my uh my surgery the day before the 2000 olympics started i sat on my parents couch for three weeks literally just ate rubbish in this depressive state i got up three weeks later to start doing you know a bit of rehab and uh and i, I indented my parents couch so they had to literally get it restuffed that's that's how bad <laughs> that's how bad things got but um you know it was probably a build-up of that was probably the last straw after you know a few years of of um of, of being in a bit of a depressive state and um and being in this cycle of of compulsive eating um that i just kind of said that's enough one day um i started researching you know and, and looking up online um everything to do with fitness health nutrition diet um, I, I started lifting weights um, and found myself as I was a pretty big kid that I was pretty strong. Um, so that started to gain me a bit of respect at school in my last year, um, especially because I couldn't jump into the sports that I, I was at. I grew up playing basketball and football, but um, uh, but I found myself gaining a bit of respect in, in the weights room, um, lifting lifting some heavy weights. And then from there, it just went on. And in the years preceding, I got down to about 86 kilos and and probably 11% body fat. Um, and from that day on, my life changed. And I, I can honestly say fitness changed my life. Um, I could show you a photo of when I was that age and you wouldn't even think that it looked like me. I went to my 10-year reunion 10 years later and no one knew who I was. I completely <laughs> looked different. My confidence went through the roof. I went from being the best friend of all the girls to then actually being the boyfriend and, and, uh, and building confidence that way. And then from there, um, as my confidence grew, I, I wanted to get out of my shell and I started traveling. So I'm a huge snowboarder. I've been snowboarding since I was 10, skiing since I was three. I was a very lucky family, got bought up at the snow um, in Victoria, even though it's not a very good ski field, but still it's, it's better than nothing. Um, but uh, I started traveling and I, I found myself in Colorado. Um, Beaver Creek is a very ritzy mountain over there and um, – and I should say as well, at the same time, I was doing my personal training um, sort of stuff. So I did my, my certificate three and four. Um, I, I was doing a science degree at university, which I had deferred because I didn't know really which direction I wanted to do. But I, I loved the gym sort of way. So 
got into personal training and I ended up being a personal trainer and snowshoe instructor at the Park Height in Beaver Creek. Okay. Um, and just to give you a bit of a, ch- uh, a bit of a, um, an insight, it was $8 an hour on the gym floor or $140 an hour US to snowshoe for an hour and a half. And I think it was 120 US to personal train for an hour. So you could see which way I, I, I quickly went, uh, jumped off the gym floor and, and the gym reception desk and started, um, started really training. I would say the rich and famous. There are a few famous people over there, but Beaver Creek is one of the places where the wealth of America goes to. So people that don't want to be seen, the rich New York tycoons, et cetera. So I would, the classic case of the husband would be out with the kids all day and the mum would be in the gym or, or in the spa or doing a snowshoe or whatever. So also got to learn at a very young age how to schmooze and how to make people like me very quickly and the right things to say and how to compliment people um, because you had to do that quick because it was all based on tips as well at the end. So it was 150 plus tip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so some days I was earning up to 200 US an hour, which was pretty cool. Half of that was mine, but um, it was was pretty cool for a 21 year old. Um, so I was back and forth there for two years. Uh, I, I went back to university to finish my science degree. Um, I did try to do a bit of business, a bit of accounting, a bit of finance, um, but I failed all of those subjects. Uh, but because I was so obsessed with, uh, with with health and fitness then, I changed everything towards the um, exercise physiology part. So I double majored in exercise physiology, pharmacology, minored in microbiology, which was interesting. Um, my father was a pharmacist for 45 years, so I thought I'd try the drug path, and, and uh, which was fascinating. Not that I, I ever wanted to be a pharmacist, but I just loved the way the human body worked, the muscles, and then, you know, injecting it with a certain drug and the changes that, that came about that way, which was pretty cool. Um, so that was my university days. And then two years, I just got the travel bug from there. Um, and I, I just knew that I wanted to be in health and fitness. I wanted to have my own business. I knew from a very early age with my father drilling that into me that one way to get ahead in life was to own your own business. So I always had that in the back of my mind. Um, and then I ended up over in London. So I did I did a, a, a around-the-world trip with my best mate. Um, you know, we saved up here. I did a short stint as a sports scientist at Deakin University after after uni, uh, but really that was in the research sort of wing, and that was just really to to, to bank cash and and um, and start spending it on travel. So uh, I had, a, had an amazing time traveling the world for I think we got to six or nine months, and then I ended up in London, um, and then I just stumbled across a, uh, a an ad for a dynamic Pilates um, instructor in in the West End. Um, I don't know what it was, but this ad jumped out at me. Um, Pilates at that stage, as far as I knew, was just physiotherapy uh, based and, and clinical Pilates. And, and it was getting very, very big in Australia in terms of every physio was bolting on a Pilates uh, center as, as more of a rehab side of things. Uh, but this was a little bit different. This was in the fitness space. It was, it was, it was dynamic and or high intensity Pilates, as we call it. Um, and I walked into the studio and it was a tiny studio, six reformers in the back of Westbourne Studios um, in, in, in the West End. And, and I just fell in love. The music was pumping. Um, uh, it was a fast-paced class. Uh, the guy who was teaching at the time was Ozzy, who ended up training me. So we got along really well. Um, and it was just, I think what I loved about it is my personality growing up was I always pushed the boundaries. And, and this specific style of Pilates or this studio in London was just always getting write-ups in glossy magazines and 
and, and the papers, et cetera, is like the rebel of Pilates and how they're doing it. They're doing it wrong. And, you know, you can't go there because, you know, it's, it's not the real Pilates and all this sort of stuff. And I just, I think I fell in love with the kind of rebellion of it. Um, but we were, we were pumping. We were, the studio was full. Clients were, were leaving with massive smiles on their face. There was no broken clients we were fixing. It was purely health and fitness. Um, I wasn't in that personal training space of writing out diet and menu plans for my client then to go and eat rubbish all weekend and come back the next week and wonder why they hadn't lost weight. You know, it was purely you come in, you train, your clients love it, you leave. Um, and, and already health conscious and fitness minded people. And I just, I loved it. Um, I knew basically in the first week that I'm going to take this back to Australia. Um, I told all my friends for the next three years that that's what I was going to do. Funnily enough to this day, they still go, I still remember in London, that's what you said you were going to do and you've done it. Um, but I ended up just trying to in, embrace myself as much as I knew about that style of Pilates. I ended up being the head trainer in that studio um, and and ended up being you know the, the trainer for the trainers as well, teaching new trainers coming on board. Um, and then one day it was time. I still remember it was like a mid-April day. It was about 20, I don't know, it would have been about, 17 degrees mm-hmm. was everyone was in your like parks <laughs> yeah, yeah everyone was in your parks with their bikinis on get trying to get their tan from their winter white bodies and um i just looked around and went i'm done i've, I've got to go home and, and um and start the next chapter of my life and 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 that was yeah that that was basically the, the history that that led before kx Long-winded, Gosh. apologies but <laughs> no 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 excellent what an insight and i mean i'm you know i'm sat here looking at you now and you still look like you're in great shape. So you've obviously, you know, continued this journey that you've spoken about from where you were. I did not know that story at all about yourself. So, you know, kudos to you to, for not only doing it, but continuing it and clearly making it a, a lifestyle choice for not just your business, but your, yourself. You look, you look in, in yeah, very, 100%. very well. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolute lifestyle choice. It's something in my mental state. I have to train every day it triggers something in my head that then I eat clean um, uh, and everything. If I look back at my life, um, the best parts of every part of my life has been when I've been in great shape yeah. and eating clean. And I think every down stage is when I'm not exercising and I'm eating rubbish. It, it, that's where it starts from. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky now. I'm up in, in, in sunny Noosa now, um, you know, fast forward 12 years from when KX started and, and I've got a pretty amazing life. Um, with you know a wife and three beautiful kids, and I get to train every day, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's oh, good, it's, good it's, for you because I'm sure that the, the, the journey from from there to to this great life that you you are, are fortunate to have, and it's great that you realise that as well. It's obviously been a long road because many people can have an idea, many people can see an opportunity, but not everyone can actually maximise that opportunity and turn it not just into a job for themselves, but an actual business. And uh, I think that's one thing that you certainly see out there that many people uh, have the idea of opening a studio, um, but actually what they may well be doing is is creating a job for themselves rather than necessarily creating a business that can grow and expand and go beyond that individual, which is, is what you've been able to achieve on a grand scale there. So I want to take you back to to that time you, you've sort of we've left the story here that you've you know seen that very very odd sight of people 
in bikinis in a deck chair in a pub, which is one of my strongest memories from when I first came over here. I didn't quite know what was happening because I was like, there's no beach. Why are you people in yeah. swimmers? Um, but you you made that choice. You came back to Australia and it's all good and well to have that vision and that dream, but actually you know, making that happen, creating the business plan, getting the finance behind you, finding the location, doing that. Talk us about, you know, that first studio, what was it like? How did you find the space? Um, I'm interested to hear a little bit about the background of the name. From what I understand, it's got origins in sort of Japanese theory. So talk yep. to us about that concept of, you know, going back and, and you don't just open a studio, right? You have to create a brand. You have to create a vision. You have to make sure you've got the money behind you to do it. Talk to us about that phase and, and how that was for you. Yeah, sure. So I got back. Yeah, July 2009, I, I travelled back through Thailand with a, a good friend of mine before I got back. and um, I said to myself, I'm not going back into the fitness industry until I own my own studio. Um, so I went back into the bar and gaming world that I, I was in in my uh, teenage years or late teens. Um, uh, and I lasted three weeks, basically. I was like, I can't do this. It's depressing. Um, you know, and, and my passion was there and I was just so hungry. So, you know, good old dad, I was still, I, I had to move home. We realized when I got back home, um, dad had been helping me tick the credit card over when I was traveling. Uh, and he added up a, a few, a few invoices or a few credit card bills and realized that I was 20 grand in debt to him, which we were both shocked at. Um, so that's why I went back to start working to repay that. But after three weeks, I was like, no, I can't do it. So I sat him down, um, at the kitchen table and, uh, I said, dad, I, I need your help. This is what I want to do. And uh, basically, he's like, right, oh, business plan. So I had to Google what a business plan was. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I failed all those things in university. I, I knew I was a pretty good trainer. I knew I could, I could schmooze the, the people coming through the door and create an, a, a great experience and, a, and get them leaving with a big smile to go and tell their friends. I knew I was good at that, but I had no idea about anything else. Um, so it wasn't long after that I was in his um, – he backed me. So we're in his business banking manager's office. Uh, where he guaranteed my first loan of 130000 Uh And funnily enough, for collateral, he put our family's beach house on the line, which had been in the family since I was born. Um, so not just him that I was I was going to piss off if things didn't go well, but my I'm the youngest of five kids, so um, it, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have gone down well. So the pressure was on. Um, but yeah, and and uh, we started looking for a site. Um, you know, I. Grew up in south, uh, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. I went to a, a private boys' school in inner city Melbourne. So I kind of knew that the areas in between that that were quite affluent. Um, so I chose Melbourne as the place to have our first studio. Um, and for those who aren't listening, the average house in Melbourne is probably three to six million. So, so there's definitely money there. But what we were looking for, similar to what I saw in, 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 um, in the West End. So you've got your young mums who are um, the young professionals. They'll come before or after work and on the weekends. And then you've got your mums who haven't gone back to work after having kids, uh, your soccer mums, as we call them, that will fill up your 9, 10, 11s, those sort of mornings. So, um, and they're very, very different clientele. And, and we tried to find locations and, and, and suburbs that would suit both. And Melbourne seemed like the perfect fit. You have also suburbs either side that hit more of the young professionals and on the other side hit more of the, the families as well. So um, 
negotiation didn't happen. My landlord saw me coming a mile away with no experience, so it wouldn't budge. Uh, but the location was was fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, my one of my best mates built the studio for me uh, on a shoestring budget. Looking back at the, at the photos now, it was absolute rubbish. Like the standards <laughs> that we have now across the country and how beautiful our studios look. You know, I kept their, their purple carpet, their cream walls. Um, I had no logos up at the time. I borrowed my, I had, so as I said, I, uh, this was all on a shoestring. I borrowed my sister's red couch uh, as the reception couch. I borrowed her uh, glass dining table as my reception desk um, and kind of got it all together. And it was funny because I was so proud of it at the time, thinking that it looked so amazing, <laughs> but looking back, it was horrible. Um, but funnily enough, I had uh, I was speaking to a colleague who was running an education business in Melbourne about two weeks before having a coffee. He's like, oh, I can't wait for the studio to open. How's your pre-sale gone? And I was like, what's a pre-sale? I've got no idea what you're talking about. And he kind of just laughed at me. Um, and funnily enough, I was getting the studio so ready and so perfect in my eyes that I did nothing in terms of marketing. So on my first day, I didn't have anyone walk through my doors. I opened on the 26th of February, 2010, and not one client walked through my doors that day. Um, in the afternoon, I was like, holy shit, we better get started. What do I do? I started Googling marketing and what to do, opening things like that. And, um, you know, and then I just got ingrained in it. I, I literally walked to every single local business in the area. It's a massive strip shop with heaps of small businesses and just gave out free classes. I got into the newspapers, um, you know, our flyer drops I was even doing back then. Yeah. Uh, and this is the day before online booking systems. So I had an Excel spreadsheet that I'll take phone calls for. Um, it wasn't even that much on email, to be honest with you. So, um, and just slowly and slowly, um, you know, our clients clients would come in. A lot at the start being my friends and family. Um, I got the pricing all wrong in the beginning. And just just to also paint a picture, boutique fitness was non-existent in 2010 in in, in Melbourne, Australia. It was probably yoga studios was probably the only thing that was kind of happening. Like hot yoga studios, Bikram was kind of big back then. Um, F45. Uh, didn't come along until 2013. So we we're probably in the verge of like the 24-7 boom. So the Jets Fitness, Anytime Fitness, mm-hmm. Snap Fitnesses were going crazy, which didn't work for me because everyone was happy paying $10 a week for their gym. They didn't want to pay me, you know, $30, $35 a class for a, a dynamic Pilates class that, A, no one knew what Reformer Pilates was back then. No one knew what high-intensity Pilates or dynamic Pilates was. Uh, group fitness was what you saw in gyms. It wasn't in a in a in a single owned studio, so it was really really difficult to cut uh, to cut through. Um, and you know, I look back and laugh now. Would I do it again? Probably not. It was horrible. Um, I was lonely. I, I was up at four a.m. every day to get the studio ready for for the, for the six a.m. class. I was home <clears throat> at nine thirty at night. Um, I slept on the couch during the day. I, I was I taught all the classes for the first uh, couple of months before I trained trainers up, um, and my dad was still waiting at home for me in the beginning, just to, you know, uh, just ask me how my day was and, and kind of give me that kind of pep talk. Um, my mum was helping me wash the towels in those early days as well. That ended up being it's when I met my wife at that stage as well. So, um, you know, three to six months in, it was going between mum's house and, and my wife's house helping wash the towels. So it was. Um, it was all hands on deck. I would do everything from, you know, reception, admin, um, marketing. You know, once a month, Dad and I would sit down and do the books, which was my most hated four hours of, of the month. Um, 
just to, to do that. But he helped me. He helped me with that. Um, and and again, to put it in perspective, the average KX Pilates studio now earns forty five thousand Australian dollars a month. My first three month BAS statement was eight thousand dollars in revenue. Yeah. Um, so it was basically nothing. I was paying myself two hundred dollars a week, still living at home, obviously driving my dad's car, which I later signed up KX Pilates. Uh, which he, he basically loaned that to me for, for two years. Um, and, yeah, it was hard. Um, I had to stop drinking because um, I just couldn't have big weekends or big nights because I needed to be in that right frame of mind. Um, I wasn't seeing anyone at that time at the, in the early days because <laughs> not many women are, are impressed with a guy who's 26 living at home with his parents, driving his dad car, getting $200 a week and working 80 hours a week. It's not yeah. really much. Um and it's funny because Andy and my, my wife Andy and I met in 2010 when I opened the studio, but we didn't actually start seeing each other properly for a year later, just because no one, you know, just wasn't weren't in that headspace to to even hold a relationship. So it was very very lonely. I had no friends in in business at that time, so I couldn't really go and talk to anyone. Um, so six months in, I started joining young entrepreneur groups and and business groups alike, just to hang around with people who, who kind of were in the same boat with me, which was really really good. And I learned. There's a group in Australia called the Entourage, which was at the very early days back then. And, and I just was a sponge. Every single thing I learned about marketing or online or, or member benefit programs or absolutely anything, I just trialed. And if it worked, fantastic. And if it didn't, then I just threw out the door. Um, these were the days before Facebook marketing. Instagram wasn't even a thing. Uh, social media was was kind of just something that you post some photos on when you go for a holiday. So, um yeah, it, it was hard. And it was really only until 12 months in, so the January of 2011 months in, the January of 2011, the, um, there was that huge boom in, in, in group buying. So the scoupons, the jump on it, the, uh, yeah. uh, all those sort of those voucher deals, which absolutely screwed the business because it was like $30 for five classes yeah. where the company would keep 20 of the $30. So yeah. I had to produce five classes for $10. So I was getting screwed in the back end. But what it enabled us to do was the, the studio wasn't full then. So whether I had two people or 10 people at that time, we're at 14 studios in our, 14 machines in our studios now, but two or 10, I would pay the, the trainer or myself, I was paying nothing basically, um, the same amount. So so if that studio was just full with more people, that to me was just more people to go and tell their friends and family, et cetera. So, uh, and I still remember, um, it was like the 16th of January, 2011, we went from $15,000 in revenue to the next month of 30,000. So it literally doubled overnight. And then from then on, it just, um, the name was out because we used their database of thousands and thousands to get the KX brand out um, and kind of, we had people coming all over Melbourne. It was crazy. Right now, you wouldn't have a client go more than five k's to get to a studio. Yeah. But back then, clients were travelling half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour just to come to a KX class. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool. And what worked as well with that is that you couldn't go anywhere else to experience what was happening because there was no other Reformer Pilates studios doing what we were doing. Yeah. Um, so we really captured the market. Um, so, yeah, that was the first year. Tough, as I said, we got through it. And then I kind of went, you know what? I'm just going to make everyone think that we're successful. So we're going to open another studio. And I didn't have the money to do it. So I went back to dad and I said, dad, I need your signature again. for <laughs> my second loan. Uh, I think we're onto something here because we're, we're starting to grow. And, and then our second studio in Port Melbourne opened uh, in 2011. Okay. Um, Gosh. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's great to hear your recount of that um, 
because it's it's interesting. You say something that uh, my wife and I often say as well is like, thank God we did what we did when we did it. Because if we actually knew then what we know now, we never would have started this thing. Because we just, yeah, you know, we took out our first lease. I didn't have the right use on it because I didn't know it needed a, a use. And so I was like, yep. what do you mean we need to get a change of use? It's like, oh, well, you know, you can't do what you want to do under this use. It's like, oh, okay, so how do I do that? <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. I'm going to have to do that because I've already taken the bank loan. I've already got the lease. So how do I do that then? Um, but yes, it is, uh, it is one of those things that um, you, you literally have to put everything, everything on the line and everything into it. But, um, you know, obviously it is about that, that vision and the passion and that sort of example that you set to others to hopefully follow you along the journey. Um, But before you, I also want to take a look because one of the things, you know, for myself anyway, you know, I, um, you know, came from a a physiotherapy background. And so we go to university, um, you know, we don't get taught how to run a business. We don't get taught about writing a business plan as you touched on there, or even the importance of your name or your colors or what it might mean. How is it interpreted? All these things. Um, So you opened that first studio and you'd come up with the name KX then. It was the same name when you opened? Uh, Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't defined then. It was just the the letters. (laughs) KX was – back then I literally just had a name uh, and we had a logo which my best mate designed up for me Mm. in his parents' house. He was a head – he's now that randomly he's the head interior designer for Ford – Australasia looks up, looks, looks after China and south of China all the way down here. He lives in Shanghai now, but back then he was just working for Ford in Australia. And at night time wow. after his, after his full time job, we'll go and, and hang out and, and try and get this logo together. And uh, again, our logos changed a, a little bit, but um, it was a looking back a pretty horrible logo. There was a, the KX was the same. There was a girl with a leg on the side that was doing a, a Matt Pilates move and, you know, cursive letters underneath that looked horrible but we thought that was our brand right we threw this thing across everywhere um about six months in um you know all over the windows all the wall big decals on the walls you know that that's kind of what it was and it was only until 2013 we started franchising um and another really good friend of mine's a brand developer and he, he sat back and he goes if you want to do what you want to do you need you need a brand behind you and right now you don't have a brand. You've got a logo and it's it's a pretty crappy one at that. We need that fixed up too. So um, so it took a bit of convincing because I, oh, we were just obsessed with this this logo and, and everything to do with it. So we sat down and um, and interviewed clients and um, and and we had to define the letters. And, and and he basically interviewed me, what I stood for, my beliefs, my values, what the company stood for, and where we wanted to take it. And um, and 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 I mean, K and X are pretty difficult letters to to define, X especially, but, you know, Kaizen came across as just the most perfect um, perfect uh, word or understanding or philosophy to define the company. Um, it's a personal philosophy of mine of small and ongoing improvement, never stop learning, and it, it just worked really, really well. Um, so, and then our values came from that. You know, values are respectful relationships, uh, vibrant positivity, um, evolution through innovation and going above and beyond. Um, our, our tagline is define yourself, which uh, that's the only claim to fame that I have. <laughs> we went through a thousand different taglines and one morning I literally woke up from it. I don't know if it was a dream or something and, and that, those two words came out of my mouth and 
Um, it can mean so many different things to so many different people in terms of defining who you are, defining your vision, your passion, your purpose, your body on a physical sense. Um, so that, that, that just clicked into place. Um, and, and that's just kind of how, how, how the brand developed from there with his help and six months of a lot of hard work and going back and forth to, to really, you know, set, set the groundwork and set the baseline of the company moving forward. And now, you know, the values we live by every day, they're on, on the wall at head office and, and we talk about them all the time. Um, the vision is, um, a vision has always been to, um, to take, you know, Pilates around, around the world and, and really provide a fitness experience and a personalized fitness experience as well that people will love. Um, which we're really passionate and proud in. It's a brand that, you know, we walk down the street and people see KX on our shirt and stop us and say how much they love, they love KX and what, what studio do you go to and what trainer do you love, et cetera, et cetera, which is awesome. Um, and, and our purpose is just changing lives for the better. And, and that's as simple as it gets. We make people's lives better just by having and doing what we do every day. So, um, and I'm just really grateful where the company's at. Yes, I started it. I say this basically every franchise conference. Yes, I started the company. Um, but the people that we've hired along the way and the franchise partners that we've brought on board, the people who work at the head office, they make the business. They they are the people that, that drive the business. They're very passionate about um, changing people's lives. And and that's it's it's easy for, for me to sit at the top. And and uh, I'm very proud of where we've, we've got to. But, um, yeah, it's definitely the people that I've brought along the way that have made this business for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But those people have to buy into your vision and and to you know Correct. help you help you grow that and and move it forward. But it does you know that seed starts somewhere, and that seed starts with with yourself because you've got to have the you know the the confidence and you know the the gumption for want of a better word to actually put yourself out there and go for it and 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 have big visions to then try and get a a big result. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because obviously you had this initial studio, you then opened your second studio, and then you've done something that not a lot of people have actually done, um, Aaron, to be honest. I, I looked at it. I'll put my hand up there. I looked at it probably 10 years ago, Franchising Our Business, and we went through the British Franchising Association and they mm -hmm. you know, did everything and they gave me a 300-page booklet of, you know, bedtime reading that uh, – Oh, Yeah. I never quite got got through, and um, you know, to be honest, you're just, you're I, I just lucky you're not in Australian franchising, Glenn, because there's even more red tape over here. Yeah, gosh, I think I, yeah, you know, I, and I, you know, I, I, I bought people on, I bought a marketing director on, I bought a CEO on, and we were going to do this and all of it, and I just, you know, at, at, at the death, I just, I didn't have the the, uh, I guess the the belief or the understanding of just how do I do this? How do I take what I've done day in, day out and what, you know, seems to work pretty well when we have a, a good reputation, we have a good trust and all the rest of it. Um, you know, but how do I go from this to having studios all over the place that I don't know as personally as I would like to know and I'm not in control yep. of exactly what's happening and, and, you know, all these what ifs. And I guess I, I, I let it build up too much, but but you didn't. You did it. You saw the opportunity and you went for it and you created what is now an amazing franchise business. Can you talk to us about, you know, how you went from a studio owner? And yes, you owned, I think, if I'm right, three studios before you went to the franchise model. Um, 
how did how, how did you go about saying right we're going to franchise this and how do you actually then go and go ahead and do that yeah sure and and to be honest it started in london because we were the first studio in dynamic pilates in london uh, that uh, our boss had, had bought over from from LA, uh, uh, from basically from Sebastian Legree before he started his Legree method, he was doing dynamic Pilates in LA, um, and and by the time I left London, there were probably fifteen studios under five different brands doing the exact same thing, and they were our trainers in the beginning, that went trainers or clients I should say that went to our boss and said, hey, can I get involved? And she said, no, I don't want any business partners. I, I don't want to. To, to grow that way. I want to do it on my own. So they say they kind of went, that's cool. I'll go and do it myself. Um, you know, to, to open a Pilates studio is not a difficult thing. A Pilates business is very, it, it's, it's a simplistic business to run with the right systems and capabilities versus, say, you know, a, a product business with 200 different SKUs and stock takes and training, trying to train up a 17-year-old just to fire them in six weeks and train them again. Like, the, the retail, I would never be in retail. I think it's crazy. Logistics as well of moving food from one side of the country to another or whatever. I've got friends in all these different businesses and I look at mine and think it's a very simplistic business. But what's very, very difficult is the serviceability and the experience that you have to provide. And if that sucks, then your clients aren't going to come back. So what we found in London were our boss as well wasn't into fitness. She basically grabbed an idea from LA. She brought it to London. So we were her business. We were her touch point for 96% of the clientele was us as trainers. And I, she was very smart in one sense because they were all young, mostly male. They were either from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, or, or England. Um, but I think out of a, a team of 10 or 12 trainers, I think 11 were, were male um, and under 25. So in that sense, uh, that worked for her. But um, we realised as well that we, we will also, I think, the arrogance of a trainer when you're coming in, opening the doors, training, closing the doors, you don't see anything that goes on behind the scenes of a business. You don't see um, the bank loans, the leases, as we talked about, the finance, the marketing, any of that stuff you, you don't see. So I think, um, and even from a, a younger personal trainer as well, you always think that you can do it yourself. You always um, get to a stage where you want to have your own thing. I think that's the, the, the general nature I wouldn't say of all trainers, but of a lot of trainers, um, which is again why I didn't want to do a personal training studio because that was that was being thrown to me back then, and it's kind of like yeah, that's cool, you grow that up, and then all your trainers leave and start their personal training studios and take all all your clients. Um, so I knew I basically what I'm trying to say is I learnt what not to do in business first, yeah. um, and how not to run a business if if it was going to be successful and, and to grow. So I I heard had heard of franchising. Um, and I just thought, hey, I, I had no idea about business when I opened up my studio. As I said, if you brought people in, I, I would have had a great experience and a great class and, and I, would have, I would have been confident they were coming back. But to get them in the doors, I had no idea. So I had to learn all that. And I thought to myself, well, trainers have no idea about this. So franchising is perfect for this because they'll get to a certain stage and they will want their own thing, but then we can help them run a business. We can, we've got the brand, we've got the systems, you know, we've got the pre-marketing campaigns, we've got all that stuff that now comes with it, uh, a trusted brand. And you also get your clients as well. So they're already ambassadors of your brand. They're ambassadors of the style of fitness, but they just want their own thing. And they love KX. They don't love Jenny's Pilates. They love KX. They want a KX studio. And I think also in the very early days of my first studio, I also had a lot of clients coming to me saying, hey, 
when's this going to open up down here? Can I get involved? That sort of stuff. And, and that's when I was like, right, we need to franchise this. So, yes, yeah, so my first studio in 2010, second in 2011. A trainer of mine came to me in 2011 and said, I want to get involved naturally. And I was like, well, I'm going to franchise this business, but I don't know how to do that yet. So why don't we open three studios together in 12 months? That was the aim um, in three other affluent suburbs in, in Melbourne. And she at the time was a socialite and she was dating um, a, a really high profile rugby player. So she was in this network of, of wags and, and, um, and, and could walk down the street of this suburb and basically most people knew who she was because of the connection. So I was like, great. And she was also a trainer and a very good one. So I was like, great, let's open the first studio. And that first studio profited in four weeks. It was incredible. Wow. It was also timing was great. Everyone in Melbourne started knowing what KX was, but also KX is close to me now. I don't have to travel to get it. And, um, and it worked really, really well with her connections. And, and she was a, a really big social butterfly and, and connected really well and, and, and got to know clients really well and um, it really worked. So I opened the studio and did everything from the build and the lease and all the stuff from behind the scenes. And when the doors opened, I handed over to her and she ran it. We had a 50-50 partnership. And um, not long after, I think it was eight months later, we opened our second, uh, second studio together, which made it Studio 4. And then three months later, we opened our third studio together, so Studio 5. And then in the mix of that, I opened up another one of my own company studios, Studio six. So we had proof in single owned studios. We had proof in part owned studios. So proof of concept was a big tick. And in franchising, that's a, a massive tick because basically when someone's sitting down saying, show me your financials, you need to show them the different business paths that they can go down. And also you need to show them the financials of everything like together. So on average, you you know, this is what not you will earn, but on average, this is what we are currently earning. Yeah. Um, never guarantee in franchising. That's one thing. Um, and so when I opened the studios with her, her name's Ali Sensor. Um, Elle ran the studios and that enabled me to step back away from, from the day-to-day running of those studios. And I had management in my studios at the time. I was still teaching in them, but I had, you know, um, studio managers doing doing the rest of the work. And then I went and hunted out how, how to franchise. So I sought franchise lawyers out. I was lucky. I told you that young entrepreneur group before. I was mentored by Stuart Cook, who was the CEO of Zambrero um, Mexican food chain over here in Australia back then. Uh, so he really helped me and basically said, you know, there's companies that can take a couple hundred grand off you to go and do this for you, but I think you can do it yourself. Here's all my connections. So he got me in touch with the legal and, um, and a guy who basically came in and, tried to pull everything out of my head in terms of the day-to-day running and operations of it all, which wasn't a very, very good job. Um, and, and around that time as well, 2013, 12, 13, my wife, Andy, um, we've been together for a couple of years and she'd been in a marketing role in, in a corporate um, and was very, very good at systemizing and processes. Um, and she was great at marketing and she was great at IT. She just had this collective um, and brilliant brain when it came to all of that. So she basically is like, I want to get involved. This is getting really exciting because I've basically come home every night and wouldn't shut up about it. Um, so she quit her, her corporate role and came over. And I paid her about a third of what she was getting paid. Um, but I think she saw that she saw the dream and, and saw where we were going. So she basically revolutionized the entire franchising 
um, process systems. She was our first marketing manager. Um, and and all the back-end sort of stuff, I was always good at the big picture business side of stuff by then. But in terms of processes and detail, I was horrible at it. She was fantastic at it. So we worked really well in that sense. Um, and then we sold our first franchise in 2013. Um, we actually sold three in three months. Wow. Um, and that was basically my very first franchise. He, uh, he sat me down and he's just like, my wife tried to get into your studio. She couldn't. It's waitlisted. So it means something's good there. <laughs> How can I get involved? Um, you know, he was a fantastic guy. Looking back now, was he a great fit for our first franchisee? He probably wouldn't be the right fit now. But I think at the start of any franchise, I don't think you've got any idea really of what's your perfect person and what's your perfect recruit. Your recruiting process is certainly nowhere near as as good as now. And I think you've got to make those those mistakes. So um, he sold out a couple of years ago and um, on, on very, very good grounds. Uh, and, and we're still in touch today. But um, And then the, the next two, they were tra- one was a trainer uh, um, and a personal trainer as well. And now she has five studios, four wow. or five studios. And the third was a client of mine that was very business-minded, had businesses in the past and just loved KX. So he was the, the ambassador client. And now he has five or six studios. And Ali, last time I checked, has about nine or ten studios. Wow. She did what I did. So she did half. She grabbed trainers in the end. And then she opened the doors, trained and ran them. So it was a 50-50 and then she's got her own. So very similar to what we did. I've sold everything out of mine to Ali now. So she's a sole um, franchise partner. But um, And that's kind of where it started. So we had a few people in the beginning. And I still, you know, one of my first franchise partners, Ange, she still accounts when we sat down for coffee and she was asking me all these questions. And I was just like, you know what, Ange, I don't know all your answers, but I guarantee we'll figure it out together. And, uh, and and I'll be there for you. And that's kind of where it sat. And it was a really, really fantastic time um, when we first, you know, the initial, or, you know, OGs, we call them, of, of KX. Um, um, and, uh, and, and it was, there was no competition back then. There was no reform of Pilates back then. So we just couldn't go wrong. Like studios opened their doors and were cash flow positive in, in a couple of weeks, um, you know, our owners were super happy because they were making money really fast. Um, <clears throat> and it was just a really cool, cool, cool um, time for the, for the company. Um, and we grew together. There was a lot of times, there was a lot of ups, there was a lot of downs. You know, I had no experience being CEO back then. I was the founding CEO. So it was um, dive in and, and have a crack. Um, you know, I mean, we made mistakes back then as well. We owned up to them and, and, and moved on. And it was... Um, that's probably there. That's probably the start. So how about yeah. I stop there? Otherwise, I'll, I'll keep talking. <laughs> well, it is. It is great to see just how passionate you are about about the business and and the industry as well. I can sense that you you still have that same drive that you did back then, which is a real credit to you. Um, but I want to just ask you something. You've just touched on it there about um, you know those initial uh, franchises and the people, and I guess that's what I'm also interested in is how do you yeah find well you probably don't find franchise partners anymore they probably come to you but how do you decide who would be a good franchise partner given this is a poati's business and i imagine some people might look at it purely from the business point of view others might look at it from the experience point of view um but how do you decide who would be a good fit 
to open a, a franchise for you? It's funny because I was sitting, I sat on the, the Melbourne um, franchise board, franchise all board for a couple of years and, and went to a lot of franchising conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And I always talk about your franchise part that must have business acumen. That's the number one. Because if that doesn't, it's, that, that's not there, then they're not going to run a successful business. But in our case, it's like four or five down the list because like me, as I was saying before, they don't have that, that <clears> business experience or a lot of them don't. Um, but what we look for now, I mean, the, the passion in wanting to help people, the passion for fitness, um, the ambassador of the brand, because at the end of the day, the brand is number one. And all it takes is for one franchise partner to ruin that for the rest mm-hmm. of the, 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 the company, which is why we're so tough. I mean, franchising is a really crazy kind of concept and one why it's studied in, in psychology so much because in our sense, our franchise partners pay a royalty to head office and then we go ahead and employ a business development manager with that money to then go and tell them how to basically run their studio and what they can and can't do. So in essence, they're, they're paying to get mothered and, and that's hard because they've just, they've just put down anywhere between 200 and 400,000 of their money. They're heavily invested. It, it, even though yes, it's, it's still our brand. Um, it's definitely their business. It's their brand for the time that they've, they've signed on for, which we have five by five year agreements. So for that 10 years, it's, it's definitely their brand. But at the same time, we need to protect that. So, you know, if, if they do a, a dodgy marketing campaign that hasn't been approved, as I said before, if they, if they do one thing wrong, it can really reflect badly on the rest of the business. So it's a really interesting concept. So you really have to sit down and you know the entrepreneurs of this world, some are good at franchising if they understand what franchising is about. And others haven't haven't worked out. You know, we had we had an owner who was a huge success um, and had multiple studios. But at the end of the day, the 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 how he was tied to the brand and the rules behind the brand and the franchise, he couldn't do anymore. He had to go and do his own thing. And that was a a beautiful day when he finally came to that realization and called me up. He goes, "I've got to sell," and I said. Mate, you've got to go and do what you've got to do. Thanks for, for all your hard work and, and representing the brand. But, you know, go off and do your own thing. I know how hard it is to do your own thing. So hats off if you want to do that. Um, but we have a, like a 10-step recruiting process. And that, and that now comes anywhere from initial interviews, um, going down to psychometric testing, business plans, financial literacy. They, they need to be able to read you know, cash flow statements and profit and losses and stuff like that. And, and even if they have never seen it before, that you can learn that stuff too. So you just have to understand what, you, what you're going into as well. Um, training and development, we help out with. And, and then we just, at the end, as a final panel, panel interview with our CEO and a couple of our senior leaders, literally just firing off questions about why are they in this? What are the reasons they're in this for? Um, money's never usually number one. I mean, it was never number one for me. Um, and and growing the business i still remember my dad after three studios goes this is good money why do you want to keep going just be comfortable here and it's like it's not about being comfortable it's about it's about connecting and and reaching people around australia at that time just australia um to provide them with the kx experience like that was it And, and if money was secondary that was that you know profit is good but um but that wasn't what it's about and i think most of our owners as well um they're internal. It's it's an internal recruiting process. We we don't advertise for for franchises. 
we don't have you know the people that come in randomly go hey i want five studios and i don't care where they are i just heard that they make money we say go away we don't even talk to them it's it's people that um that that love the brand love the style of fitness um that, that that want their own thing and then we kind of take them on this journey together um and i think the understanding of franchising is Franchisor cannot make money without a successful franchisee, and a franchisee cannot make money without a successful franchisor. It's I look at it as 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 the league and the teams. A league, a, a, a baseball league, can't operate without its teams, and teams can't operate without the baseball league. So um, you've got to you've got to really have this mutual respect and understanding of of your roles, um, which is very hard because it does clash a lot of the times and 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 and. Again, fast forwarding a little bit, but that's why I got out of being CEO in 2017 um, and brought Selena on board, who is just incredible at relationships. You know, my empathy levels aren't anywhere near as high as her. And and you really have to understand your franchise partners and understand what they're going through. And, you know, they could pick up the phone and scream at you one day about absolutely nothing. But what you didn't know was they're, you know, they, they might have, they're going through a divorce with their, with their partner or other stuff's going on in their life. So there's so many different elements in it. Um, and for me, it just got to the stage where I knew that I wasn't the best person for that role. So, so I had to to step aside and have someone with that experience and knowledge come in. But um, that's that's how we kind of find our guys. Um, and again, internal recruitment, our multi-site ownership is huge. So over, I would say, forty-five or fifty percent of our owners have more than one studio. Because mm-hmm. um, once you start running one successful studio, it's really easy to duplicate that. Um, and then run everything out of the same same reception and um, three to four gets a little bit challenging, but that's when you need to bring in internal management and structure and that sort of stuff that we teach as well. So, um, yeah, the journey is there for someone who just wants one studio and the journey is there, as I said, for, for someone like Ali who's got nine or ten studios. Yeah. Like, so. Wow. Well, you certainly seem like you've, you've got uh, you know, a lot of processes and have refined sort of the art of finding the right partner very well which um you know i imagine is is key from a a growth point of view because as you say you know it was one thing that sort of uh scared us a little bit was what if one person somewhere does something that just is not in keeping with who we are and what we stand for what happens there um so it sounds like you've, you've learned an enormous amount of lessons along the way in doing that um and it brings me i've probably got sort of just a couple final questions because I'm very conscious that it's getting late in the evening for you there, Aaron. So I'm very thankful for your time. Um, no worries. But you, you also touched on just the, the example you gave there with uh, that gentleman that, um, you know, was doing great, but maybe had his own way of, of doing things, which may not yeah. be congruent with, with you and the brand. I mean, a lot of people look at something from the outside and think, you know, gosh, why am I, you know, why am I, pay money somewhere else where I can do this myself and do it all my own way. How do you tackle that with such a large number of franchisees now? How do you keep them connected to the brand and the process and, and what they're doing rather than that concept that, you know, I've had a lot of people that have worked for me over the years and, you know, have thought, oh, this thing's pretty easy. I'm going to go and open my own physio and bloody studio and, you know, maybe hasn't worked out so well for them, has worked out for a few, but for a lot it hasn't because it's very different, right? Working in somebody else's place to run in your own place when the the end is with you. You are the one that makes all those decisions. You have to be the one that fronts up to anything that comes across your desk on that day. How do you, how do you keep those franchisees 
in and connected and, and seeing that vision long term? Yeah, I think, you know, what I say to someone who wants to go and open the studio is go and do it um, because if that's what you need to do, I take my hat off to you. I wish there was a franchise back in 2010 that I could have joined. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work. It's very rewarding. It's very rewarding looking out and knowing that I started it and I've grown it with the help of everyone. Um, if they want one or two studios, then that's cool. If they want multiple studios, um, then personally, I believe a brand's where it's at, the systems, the processes, the support, you're literally a phone call away to CEOs, business development managers, marketing managers, uh, social media experts, like everyone has direct lines into it all. You know, we have processes in terms of, you know, we have um, all of our uh, campaigns that we run every year that the marketing team does out of the marketing fund that everyone pays into. Um, and local area marketing things that, you know, people still to this day, we, we still pride our owners to come up with new ideas and bring them forward to us. And, you know, if they work, we trial them in a couple of studios and test. And then if they're fantastic, we roll out. Um, so in terms of how do I keep them engaged? Um, I think a lot of the time they understand they go through a life cycle and it's the classic lifestyle life cycle of a franchisee where they're so grateful in the beginning after a while when they don't need as much support as they did in, in, in the first six to 12 months. Um, I think they do go through a bit of a, a lifestyle change where they go, oh, well, maybe I could have done it on my own. And then it's either they're opening multiple studios or they have a problem with HR or something with a trainer and then they really lean on support because only a matter of time until something, you know, yeah. some shit hits the fan, it's it's business, until then they finally realise the advantages of being a part of a franchise network. You know, we are stronger in numbers. We are more powerful in numbers. And, um, you know, you also have, we're not private equity owned. We're, we're still a very family owned and operated business where, as you can see, we're very passionate. We're involved. There's no end date where we're going to, you know, flog this off and sell it. We're in this for the long run. We, we, we want to grow and develop with everyone together. And and we look at it from the part point of um, we're only getting people on board for a long-standing relationship, and that's it. If you're in it just to be in here for two or three years and then sell, it's probably not the right business for you. If you want to be in here for five to ten, yes, selling is certainly something that's important in business, and if your life changes and you want to capitalise on your hard work, 100%. Selling is not a, bit, a dirty word by any means uh, for our franchise partners, but we look for long-term relationships, and that's basically how it is. So um, we're engaged with them. They're engaged with us. We have... Um, multiple, multiple training um, and ongoing training for our trainers and our franchise partners. We have our annual conference when we all get together, we have social events. You know, we really kind of try and bring everyone together as much as we can and give back as much as we can so that they wouldn't want to go and do their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, having their own studio is very lonely in, in my yeah. personal experience. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's a, it's a lot of hard work and and I think at the end of the day, a consumer consumers trust bigger brands. Um, they're stronger, and and they've got backing behind them, and they've got the research. And that's why, like, a lot of money goes into innovation. You know, it's been four years to bring out the KX Former Machine, which we've got, which is an amazing piece of equipment that's only in KX Studios. You know, in sixty years of Balance Body's history, that we're the only company to have done a deal with them exclusively, where this piece of equipment is is not to be sold 
to anyone else except someone who owns a CAG studio. So just the little things that you can't do that if you're a single mm-hmm. studio um, yeah. and, and, and things like that. You, you can't afford a marketing manager of how much we pay a marketing manager when you have a single yeah. studio right, with you know, ideas and all that sort of thing. So it's just that, that that's what it comes down to. I mean, we have a head office of over 30, 35 people now. Um, and I can, I can hand to heart say now I'm so grateful that we can pay top dollar to have the best people in the industry working for us. Back in the day, it, yeah. we couldn't do that. We were still growing. But now as a mature franchise, we, we've got the money to have, have the best in, in every single area, which is why, um, which is why I think we're, we're still going very well. And, and my passion to always stay ahead of the game as well was innovation is key to me. I think if you look at the brands of like Curves Fitness, which is a perfect example, you know, they died because they didn't innovate. Yeah. Um, they were doing the same thing over and over again. They went into another country like Australia and they're like, we're going to make it just like America. And Australia went, no, that's not how it's going to yeah. work. We're yeah. not America. And yeah. and the inability to adapt to local countries and things like that. So you just have to be nimble and and understanding about those sort of those sort of things. But um. I think I answered your question in there somewhere. You did, you did. No, thank you, thank you. It's an institution you brought up as an example because it, uh, yeah, it, it it didn't work over here in the UK either. That particular uh, concept. Um, and there's so many of them as well. I could list. I could see the uh, F45s going through the ringer at the moment as well. But yeah, uh, again, th- there's the, there's the perfect example of what I call transactional franchising, which is sell to as many people as possible, make as much money for head office as possible, and then flog it off to someone at the end. And then you don't care about your franchise partners because you just care about that sale of the franchise yeah. and then they have no support. Um, or the way that we do it is long-term, we're growing slow. We're, and we're, we're in a revenue, a royalty of, of a percentage of revenue model, which means if I have two studios next to each other and they're both half full, head office receives the exact same royalty than if there's one and it's pumping and overflowing and the exclusivity is there and I've got a happy owner instead of two pissed off ones because they're helpful. So to me, it's not about putting one in every corner. It's about growing at the right speed, growing, growing with the right population and demographics, et cetera. And um, I don't, you know, we had a, we had a dream of never to close a KX studio down. I think that was a little bit um, immature in terms of, you know, shit does happen and, um, and, you know, pandemics do come and um, sometimes you do get a bad owner. Or, yeah. or life changes for a franchise partner, and then they've got to they've got to do something and move on. So I think that was a bit naive, but at the same time, I think you know, ninety two studios in Australia, we've closed down two, twelve. Wow, it's pretty minimal. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. I I love the fact that you have a view that you're growing slowly. I think many people would see uh, the where you've come from and where you are in in what I think is a relatively short time. Um, Pretty impressive, to be honest, sir. Um, so let me uh, let me touch a little bit more on on the future. You know, what are the plans? Where are you thinking? We've spoken a lot about Australia. You've touched on uh, a couple of times in your answers that you know it, it began with Australia. Where is yep. KX now? What are your plans? What do you want to tell the people listening to this um, about where KX? Yeah, is going? sure. Um, yeah, look, Australia is still is still number one on our on our list. It's 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 where we. It's at home to us. It's it's home to the business. It's home to our family. Um, so we're still going really, really strong. Victoria, uh, Melbourne. It's we started there, so we have probably have the most studios in Melbourne. We're growing really strong in in Sydney, uh, Adelaide, Perth. Uh, we're up here in Queensland now to try and kickstart 
um, the brand a little bit more. We've only got six or seven studios in Queensland. They're very, fairly spaced out. Um, so my wife and uh, one of her close friends are opening a studio in Noosa in February, uh, which is why we moved up here this year um, to, to kind of kickstart the brand here. That was probably poor recruiting mistakes back in the day of, uh, of two individuals that just thought that the franchise would work and they wouldn't have to put their blood, sweat and tears into it. Yeah. Um, so we ended up buying those studios back, but then COVID hit. We've had a lot of unlucky circumstances with the growth of Queensland. So um, that is certainly on the move, uh, but a little slower than the rest of the states. Um, we have our studio, our um, Indonesian partner over there, Regita, doing a great job. She's, she was hit so hard in COVID with no government support and still had mm -hmm. to pay staff. Um, so she's coming out of that, had a record record month two months ago, which was fantastic. She's opening Studio 2 and 3 um, at the start of next year, and then she will start to franchise. She's got the franchise rights to Indonesia, um, which is really, really strong over there. Um, uh, we have studios in China. Again, they were hit crazily. They're still trying to eradicate COVID for some silly yeah. reason. Um, so we've got about 10 studios in China, three studios in Taiwan, uh, and I was just in New Zealand last weekend for our first ever studio in New Zealand in uh, Taronga, um, south of Auckland, which was fantastic. And uh, Cara was a trainer of ours in Melbourne. Uh, went back home because it's a good news COVID story. Pushed back home because of COVID. Fell in love with the country again. Met her amazing partner, Josh, who's now a business partner. Um, and those two and Cara's father, Alan, who has been in franchising uh, for 20 years. So they're going to take master rights to, to New Zealand. But um, also in talks with Singapore, Japan and Canada, which is really, really exciting, but very early days yet for those. Um, but as we as we grow, that's why we, we pick master franchise um, outside of Australia, really, to then one partner and we deal with that one partner. So they grow their head office team. They grow the franchise from there. Um, but that, that's, that's kind of where we're going. I think internationally is still really, really important to us. Um, but again, it's the right people. Um, they're coming to us, uh, yeah. uh really. And, and we're not just trying to run out to every country and trying to sell. I think we're, we're doing it the right way. Um, but no, Australia is, is, is definitely still on the cards and is really important to us. I think we've mapped out 150, um, studios minimal across Australia. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're going. Is there a number that we're trying to get to? Not really. Um, to be honest, every studio that we open is reaching more people and changing more lives, and that's all we really care about. So, um, yeah, there's no real end game, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, exactly. Nice. Oh, we love what we do. We wake up every day and, and jump out of bed to do what we do. So, yeah, well, that's that's brilliant. It is it is a a great story, and um, you know, honestly, just even hearing you you speak, it's it's super inspiring. I think. For anyone, for myself, hearing you speak, I'm like, you know, gosh, this is this is why you do what you do to have people like you doing this on such a large scale and inspiring people that are starting out and, and people like me that have been in it for a little while as as well. It's always good to hear that um, inspiration from people. So let me ask you one final question. It's a big question, so you can narrow it down, and you might just say, look, you know what, well, that's too big a question. But I get asked a lot when I'm speaking to people. Okay, so. Knowing what you know now compared to what you know when you open that first thing, you know, what do you feel is sort of biggest lessons that you can pass on to, to others from your experience over the uh, last you know, decade and a bit? Yeah, great question. Get asked a lot too. Um, I wouldn't change anything because I've made that many mistakes or expensive lessons as I call them along the way. 
Um, you know, we didn't even touch on 2013 when uh, uh, KX Pilates was going to be KX Fitness and under KX Fitness was Pilates and I started a yoga brand, KX Yoga, and I started bar brand, KX Bar, and I started a cycle brand, KX Cycle, and I did retreats in Bali and this entrepreneurial brain of mine just went, what, 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 what can't we do sort of thing? But then I realized, um, as they say, uh, where focus goes, uh, sorry, where energy goes, where focus goes, energy flows, is that it? Um, and my focus went on everything else, really, and not Pilates. So Pilates kind of stalled a little bit. And anyway, so I sold all them off, and 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 we digress. We move on. But um, uh, the one thing I would probably learn in business is to innovate within, and that's probably a lead off of what I just said. I I, I tried to innovate outside of my core. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always passionate about Pilates and loved loved dynamic Pilates still do to this day taught a class last sunday which was still fantastic i still love dancing around the room and being an idiot um but i wasn't passionate about yoga i wasn't passionate about ballet bar i wasn't passionate about cycle um you know i loved taking people on retreats but at the end of the day that was a a four trip a year kind of addition to the brand that was never going to be a huge business for us so um but to innovate within the business is when we started really seeing traction so the innovation of the new equipment um, the innovation of the training department, the academies that we have, the systems that we have, we upgraded uh, the internal intranets, all that sort of stuff. So really to to innovate within your core is is something that I definitely would say um, is is key. And, and, and I always question where would we be if I didn't spend all that time, energy, effort and a whole lot of money doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Back in 2013, 14, 15. And where would KX Pilates be now? Would it be in extra, you know, um, X countries or X studios or, or, or what have you? But saying that, I think I needed to go through that process to learn those mistakes as well. Um, yeah. And to kind of kick me into gear. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So you're, if, if I'm right in understanding you're there, you're saying sort of think about what you do well and then do that really bloody well rather than trying Correct. to think about what you do well and try to replicate that outside of, of you know, where that passion is and what you really, really love and believe in. Correct. And I went to a, I went to an international franchise expo, which is where I got kind of the idea kind of got drilled into my head because I can't remember the name. You could Google it. It's like the number one. It's like Just Cuts. It's a, it's a, it's a franchise barber mm-hmm. in America. They've got two and a half thousand outlets across America, and, and and the founder got up. He was seventy five years old, and his whole presentation was to innovate with within. He's just like at the end of the day, we cut hair. That's it. We don't we don't we don't serve barista coffee. We we don't give you a hot dog when you leave. Like all these ideas he bought out of what his franchise partners wanted to add into the service offering. He's like, we cut hair. So how do we innovate? We innovate our systems, our processes, our tech. That's where we, we focus all of our time. And then he went through this and, and your mind is blown away in terms of the tech that a, a barber franchise could have. You just, you wouldn't believe it. But um, that, that's what keeps him number one over there. And, and that's when that kind of was a big light bulb moment. So that's when I came home from, from the States and literally basically sold off all those other brands and, and um, or rebranded them all and sold them off and, and focused entirely on KX Pilates. Wow. Well, well done. Um, Aaron, you're an absolute inspiration to talk to. I, uh, it's, it's, a, um, it's a delight to speak to, to somebody like yourself operating at such a high level within this industry of ours, um, which is you know, full of people 
that are very passionate about what they do and love what they do, and that is crucial to anyone doing our, our job. But um, you've certainly taken that uh, to to another level. So, um, you know, congratulations on everything you've achieved to date and good luck for everything you're still going to achieve because I, I sense that this story is far from finished for you guys. So a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, can I ask just finally, how do people learn more about you, website, socials, all that sort of information? Sure. And thank you. I do appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Um, at KX Pilates is our handle. KXPilates.com is our website. Um, I'm not usually, I think my LinkedIn is, um, is Aaron Dash Smith. I'm not really on the other socials that often. Um, so, uh, I'm not really worth following, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I leave that up to my social media experts at, at work. Um, but my, my handle is AJS underscore KX. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's where you can find us. Okay. Brilliant. Well, again, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for sharing your story and thanks for, for doing what you're doing within the industry as well, sir. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate it, mate. Cheers, mate. Okay. And welcome back to you all. Well, I do hope that you enjoyed the conversation there with Aaron. It was such a pleasure to speak to somebody at, uh, at his level and at his um, position within our, our industry and I guess within the, the franchise industry, which goes far beyond the Pilates industry, hey? Um, Aaron was extremely kind with his time and the detail, and you can just sense that passion he has for what he does in his answers there. So I do hope that you've enjoyed that, and I'm certainly inspired to, uh, to go out there and keep pushing those boundaries and do the very best that we at APPI can. We'd love to hear... From any of you out there, you know, certainly it opens that conversation that uh, I mentioned in there that um, we've often thought about how we grow and partner. So if there's anyone out there that, that may want to have an, a discussion with us about opening an APPI studio, then, you know, I, I think hearing Aaron's story, it, it's something that we would definitely start to look into again. But thank you to you all for listening to us. Um, remember, you can contact us at um, appi at appihealthgroup.com follow us on instagram appi at appi health group follow us on twitter on linkedin on all the other avenues that you already know most importantly if you want to get in touch directly with us give us a call here at the london headquarters or email us info at appihealthgroup.com and we would love to hear from you for any thoughts that you have on podcasts that we can do for any insights that you have that we can help you with both your education journey, your product journey, or anything else, then we'd love to hear from you guys. Thank you very much, and I will see you all again on the next edition of Pilates 101.